Hey, welcome to another edition of Talking Foosball, the Bundesliga show, your source for all things German football. I'm your host, Matt Herman, and this week we are just so pleased to announce that we've been able to hold on to one of our top performers for another year. After months of careful deliberation and some wild rumors, Kit Holden and Talking Foosball are staying together. I think we're going to win a trophy this year, don't you, Kit? Oh, yeah. How are we going? Three. All three, Matt. Excellent. If you're not going to shoot for the stars, for the treble, you know, what are you even doing in this league? This week, we're going to have a look at all those teams holding steady at the top of the league. We're going to talk about a very important, you know, contract extension as part of that discussion. We're going to talk about which of those teams are there to stay, perhaps, and who's maybe just having a bit of a moment and it'll pass away, as well as all the other doings from match day two in the Bundesliga. All right, here comes part one of Talking Foosball. This is the part where we talk about the best of the past weekend's match day. This particular match day was match day two, so, you know, maybe some of our storylines are going to be a bit hesitant or tentative or uh, provisional, but, you know, why don't we just dive in, see what we make of these things. We, in fact, have no fewer than five teams sitting pretty on six points after two match days. I would say that there are three of those teams, which are very much teams you might expect to be up there, teams who might even be up there all season long. Two of those teams may be a little bit less so, but let's just kind of pick them off one by one. First, I really think we should probably start with uh, one of the Sunday games, which is RB Leipzig and their 2-1 win over Eintracht. Kit, you had a pretty good look at this game. I thought this was a, a solid home win for the Red Bulls. You know, the, the guys who they want to be scoring their goals, as in uh, Timo Werner and Yusuf Paulson were the guys who scored their goals. Very nice goals, in fact. But maybe overshadowing everything about this game was the news that came out just prior to kickoff, which was Timo Werner, you know, the sort of pint-sized dynamo striker who is apparently sticking around at Leipzig for another, what, four years, at least if he fulfills that contract. I mean, how big of a deal do you reckon that is? I mean, firstly, I'm going to correct you because overshadowing everything about this game, including Timo Werner's contract extension, was the fact that simultaneously uh, England were completing one of the most astonishing test match comebacks in the history of cricket, uh, which I was... I confess, surreptitiously following by text update while I should have been entirely focusing on, on Leipzig Frankfurt. But hey, you, you got me beat. I was, I was off uh, at the gym lifting weights. During that game, <laughs> so you're going to have to, you're going to have to carry the load. Here. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah, Leipzig uh, looked much as they did uh, the week before uh, in the out of first I like a very, very strong, well-drilled team who, who are pretty comfortable taking on any comers. And, yeah, two nice goals, as you say. Paulson's finish in particular was was uh, really, really nice. Uh, one of those goals that you just could watch over and over again, just a really, really smooth finish. And Werner looked looked up for it after signing his, his new deal. And I think generally for, for him, I think it's the right decision. He's obviously been flirting with Bayern for a long time and Bayern flirted with him for a little bit, but it's it's become quite clear, I think, over the course of the summer that they're not, as interested in him, at least not yet, uh, as perhaps a player of his standard would want them to be if he's going to move there. And I think uh, given that, it's it's he's made the right decision in saying, well, actually, I'm going to learn more, I'm going to develop more, and I'm probably going to you know, have more time on the pitch and have more success and more fun playing under a coach like Nagelsmann at a club like Leipzig and potentially even challenging for the title with them, but at least challenging for Champions League football. Yeah, I, I don't blame him for making this decision either. I'm a little bit puzzled as to what is holding Bayern back from wanting this player, because I certainly think if he doesn't have the required quality to play a big role for Bayern at this moment, I don't think he's very far off of that at all. And I think that's quite debatable as to whether whether or not he would make the grade there. I wonder, because, you know, Robert Lewandowski is constantly asking Bayern to buy more players. I mean, it happens, you know, pretty much this time of year, every year, or maybe maybe a little, a couple of weeks before this each year, you can set your watch by it or your, your calendar, I guess. However, as I've mentioned before, like whenever he has had another striker sort of, quote unquote, competing for minutes with him, he doesn't particularly like it when that striker plays. So I can understand that that might create a little discord if you brought a guy like Timo Vanna in as, you know, a pure striker, which really that's where his best talents lie. But if you're looking toward the future, I just don't know what's holding Byron back. This guy is quality. He is going to be a guy who's going to score, you know, at a minimum. 10 or 15 goals in the Bundesliga pretty much as long as he gets minutes. 
I, I just don't get it. I mean, the only thing that I can think is that basically neither Kovac nor Salihamidzic are that keen on him, or that neither, none of the squad are that keen on him. Because, I mean, however good he is, if the rest of the guys in the dressing room are going, well, we don't like this guy for whatever reason, then you don't sign him, right? And I think, like you say, he, he seems to fit the bill quite well. They're looking for, in this summer, they were looking for players who can play both on the wing and, and down the middle. He's got the quality in theory, although his, his form does dip. We know that. There are times when we've seen him play very poorly at the World Cup, for example, or even towards the end of, the, of his time at Stuttgart, he wasn't, you know, he wasn't the explosive player that he can be. But, you know, when he's good, he's brilliant. So, so yeah, why aren't I interested? Well, sometimes I guess it just doesn't fit. Sometimes the a move that looks kind of like a natural one for a player to make just doesn't really seem to be right for the two parties at the, at the, at the given moment. And then the, the moment goes. And it could be that he's just one of those players who who never makes that jump or, or makes that jump in a different direction. And I think in some ways that's better than what we see quite often with Bayern, that they sign a player simply because he's one of the best players at another Bundesliga club. And actually there's no real role for the, for that player at Bayern and, and that player's career kind of stalls as a result. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I get you there. And I, I do worry with any player who hasn't already hit very, very lofty heights that moving to Bayern can often be premature. I personally trust him to make it there. I also think it could just be a matter of the sums not working at the moment. I mean, you know, as far as I know, you know, Timo Werner didn't have a, uh, you know, a prearranged buyout sum that, that a team had to meet on his present contract or the one prior to the one he signed this weekend. And it could just be that they were asking a price that Bayern didn't like. I mean, there are rumors. I mean, German clubs are always very, very, you know, sort of private about the terms of contracts. I mean, and even when you read about what a, a, a salary a player is on, it's typically not a, uh, a publicly disclosed amount so much as something that someone has told some journalist who can basically back it up. But, you know, we don't know for sure what is in this new contract. But some folks are saying that there is, you know, a, a buyout clause in there of something along the lines of 60 million euros, which might even be going down year by year as, as the, the, the contract goes on. So maybe Bayern are just waiting for, <laughs> waiting for the right price. I don't know. Well, yeah, I mean, I think, I think Bayern's game appeared to be that they, they assumed he wasn't going to sign a new contract with Leipzig and therefore they would be able to get him on a free next season if they, if they wanted him then particularly after getting Coutinho and Perisic, that makes sense because, you know, they've got those players for the next year anyway, so why why splash out for him now? I read in Kicker that the, the buyout clause was, was 30 million, so it could well be that Leipzig wanted to put a, a big buyout clause in that contract, Werner said, I'll extend, but only if you give give me a buyout clause that, that isn't going to make Bayern's eyes water in, in 12 months' time. And I think 30 million is, is definitely that kind of area where, if Bayern think they need him next summer, then they, they will happily pay that much for him. Sure. Talking about this game specifically, I mean, uh, you know, a 2-1 result, I think, was was a fair result, but, you know, certainly not a, a, a result that uh, had to go that way. I mean, Eintracht seemed to be able to eke out a, a fair number of chances for themselves, uh, along with the uh, also not-too-shabby goal that they did get from uh, Paciencia fairly late on. What does this game sort of portend for you about the fact that, you know, Eintracht have not, you know, started with the same sort of vigor as Leipzig have in terms of where they are on the table, etc. But, you know, some of the growing pains that many of us thought were going to be there for, you know, the Eagles have not. They got a win the first week and they got a loss here, but they didn't look bad doing it. I'm you know, now becoming cautiously optimistic about Eintracht. Yeah, I mean, I think I would certainly not be too negative because I think we've seen from last season where, you know, they had a, a successful season, a couple of key players left, and we all thought they were going to plummet again, and they didn't. They, they, If anything, they got even better. And uh, I think Adi Kutu has shown that he can he can deal with the situation he's in, which is a similar one this this year. I think it'd be interesting to see just how much the the kind of acrimony or, or, or acrimony which is sort of looming over Antti Rebic sets them back in the next few weeks because there's there was a appears to be quite a lot of frustration there. He played pretty poorly when they they lost to Strasbourg the other week or last week, and and Hutter had a little bit of a, a go at him for his his sort of lackluster performance, and it it, it appears increasingly that he that he might be pushing for a move away. That would be a big loss for him, particularly after after losing Jovic and and Allaire as well. But again, like I said, they they they've kind of shown Frankfurt both in terms of their their transfer policy and and then the way that you know 
Hutter manages the the team on a kind of week to week basis that they can they can deal with those losses and they can adapt to them and and they certainly still had in that game the the kind of scrappy fighting mentality that that has sort of made them what they are over the last couple of years and if they can sort of keep the quality or find new quality in other areas from losing those big players then there's no reason to think why they they can't stay in that sort of top six seven area yeah i mean it seems that the door should now be open for ribbit to go if he really wants to go they did i am now seeing on the the front page of my kicker app uh, a rather awkward looking picture of bas dost who has put uh, an eintracht jersey on over over uh, either a short sleeve dress shirt or a dress shirt with the sleeves rolled up it's a, it's a very strange <laughs> look but you know we know bas dost from his days at wolfsburg probably beautiful eintracht shirt this year yeah though, to be I, I gotta say that it, it, it's 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 vibrant it is vibrant he's a guy who you know not only had did fairly well at least in stretches for wolfsburg but certainly tore things up in portugal for sporting and it seems to me if 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 frankfurt are looking to move on from rabich or if they have a deal sort of halfway done but just hadn't wanted to pull the trigger until they got a replacement now's the time yeah i mean the, the well they've got a week left this signing has been has been kind of in the offing for for weeks and like i say they, they they always seem to have the finger on the pulse whoever you say it. They, they know what's happening they know what what they never get sort of surprised by one of these deals and, and they tend to to make a good buck out of them when they sell a player on and and get good people in so i think in terms of of personnel you know, Rebic is, is certainly a player who has kind of been a, a leading light for them over the last few years and, and has become quite an iconic figure of this Frankfurt team. But, you know, the, the, they've lost other players like that. And I don't think it's going to it's going to completely upend the apple cart and, and destroy this kind of really good project that they're, they're building when he does go. Yep. Just a word, I guess, maybe let's turn things back over towards Leipzig before we leave this uh, game behind. I'm wondering, I mean... Prior to the season, there was some, you know, notion, uh, and I was I was along on board with this, that uh, it might take a little time for you know Leipzig to adjust to Nagelsmann, uh, considering Nagelsmann. His his style of play at, at Hoffenheim had been you know rather different than the way that uh, the, the Red Bull way the sort of you know vertical counterattacking pressing way, um, but it seems to me maybe at least looking at the 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 statistic report tea leaves that maybe it's just Nagelsmann who's adjusted to Leipzig. I mean, they they had 44% of the ball, which is probably a little less than his Hoffenheim team is comfortable having. They, they you know, both attempted and completed fewer passes than Eintracht, but they got more shots off. They outscored Eintracht. They won the game. They look good doing it. I mean, is this... In some ways, a case of, of Nagelsmann showing up to this team and saying, "Actually, this team's really good, and they play well the way they've been playing." I'm not going to mess with that. Yeah, and I mean, I think I think there were there are also elements of the way his Hoffenheim team played that that do match up to the way Leipzig have played. I mean, you know, they did have that that ability to to hit hard and fast when they when they needed to. And I think yeah, it's a case always with when a new coach comes into a new club of of there being some kind of meeting point between the two. Uh, cultures, but I, I think Nagelsmann will definitely take time to push through the other elements of of, of his style. And he has been talking in preseason quite a lot about you know little little bits that he, even though the results are good, he feels that there's still tinkering to do in terms of getting the team more accustomed to the way he wants them to play. But I think he ultimately is is I think enough of a pragmatist as a coach and as a tactician to to adapt to the, the set of players in front of him and, and the culture of the club in front of him. And he seems to be doing that, particularly at the start. I think that's important to, to let them play as they've been playing, which was in the last half of last season, very, very well and very, very, in a very, very stable manner. And then build positive, positively from there rather than sort of coming in and, and making sweeping changes. And I think that, that appears to be what he's he's trying to do. And, and thus far, it, it's working in dreams. So. Yeah, who'd have thunk it? He's a, he's a really smart coach, huh? <laughs> Let's actually, I mean, I'm keeping RB Leipzig up in this sort of top top section of the top uh, part of the podcast in that I believe that their, you know, title challenge or at least European challenge is going to be one that can sustain itself through the season. Certainly alongside them in that category has got to be the team who is still on top 
of the Bundesliga, that is Dortmund. They got uh, a 3-1 win away to Cologne. But they were certainly made to work for it in that, you know, the, the Billy Goats opened up the scoring on 29 minutes and uh, held it all the way to the 70th. It was Jaden Sancho, as ever, scoring. Uh, scoring the leveler, assisting on the third goal of the match. But it's probably the introduction of Julian Brandt that turned that game. You know, when you have things like Brandt coming off the bench, who is very, very hard to stop, especially late in, in a game, along with a guy like Hakimi who came off the bench, he scored the second goal. That's, that's for me, one of the many reasons why I think Beifel Bay have every chance to, to to win this title. I mean, I think that their their squad depth was already a strength last year, but they sort of ran into points in the, t- the season where injuries and sort of the, you know, heedlessness of youth were got in the way. But this season, they're just, they're just too deep at every, every area and they can just sort of be down a goal away in the 60th minute and just not really be too worried about it because they can just sort of bring on a couple of really great players and, you know, put the squeeze on teams. Yeah, I mean, I think I think I was certainly impressed by the way they stayed calm in a way that they wouldn't have done at the back end of last season when they were in a bit of a sticky situation. Well, uh, I, I agree with you with the depth and I think, yeah, the fact that he makes these two substitutions and, and that completely transforms the way Dortmund are playing and, and the way the game runs and ultimately wins the game for them, that shows the the importance of that depth and the importance of the signings they've made. Brandt, not just himself in the way he played, changed the game, but but also allowed Sancho, I think, to take more of a kind of active role in in the build-up play. And, yes. and that was what led to, to two of the goals. So, yeah, Favre obviously has a lot more options and a lot more quality in, in that depth than, than he had perhaps last season, as you say, perhaps a little bit more maturity as well, which they, they showed on Friday. That said, we should always be, be wary of, of praising Dortmund too early in the season uh, on the uh, evidence of the last few years where they often made very, very explosive starts and then collapsed at some point. So you don't think Peter Bosch is going to be able to sustain the success at uh, Leverkusen? <laughs> Wait, we're getting ahead of ourselves. <laughs> well, we'll get, we'll get on to that. But, but I, I also, I, I was slightly alarmed to see just how bad they were in in short periods of that game against Cologne, particularly in the first sort of 45 minutes, 50 minutes. There were a lot of very, very poor passes, a lot of kind of wobbly moments in not particularly high-pressure situations at the back that were reminiscent of last year and, and that weren't punished ultimately because Cologne, for all their kind of verve and, and, and excitement were are not a kind of ruthless team in the way that, say, Leipzig or Bayern would be. And at this stage, you know, fine, you can have teething problems and things to iron out, and that's okay. And, and ultimately, they, they were cool enough to, to still win 3-1. But there were moments where you thought, oh, oh, God, you know, the, this team really does still have things to iron out. And, and yeah, I'm wary of, of praising them too much at this stage. But certainly, they, they have the potential to to win this title again. Hey man, all of our praise at this stage in the season is is provisional. <laughs> I think it has to be. I mean, but I'm not afraid of praising them early when they're when they're doing well, just as long as uh, we can we can damn them later when, <laughs> when things go sideways. Looking at things from the sort of Cologne side of the ball, as you said, they did have the measure of Dortmund at certain points in the early going, and Dortmund sort of were looking a bit sloppy. Cologne are, are among the teams, you know, sort of the opposite of these teams that we're talking about at the top of the table with six points. They have no points. Should you be worried if you're a, a Cologne fan, or is this just that they have sort of started off with, with a, a pretty unforgiving set of fixtures? Yeah, I mean, I'm, based on the way they played against Dortmund, I wouldn't be worried at all. I'd be, I'd be quite excited, to be honest. I, mean, mm-hmm. I think they, uh, yeah, ultimately beaten by a team who are... Who are significantly better than them but for last ways of the game they they outplayed that team and they they had a really really strong game plan that that worked and I mean I didn't watch enough of last week's game against Wolfsburg to to see but Wolfsburg also looked like a good team and it's, I don't think there's any shame in losing to them 2-1 yeah. in their backyard so yeah I mean albeit they've got zero points I think from what I've seen, and thus far, they they don't look like they're they're panicking or, or they're, like they don't have a plan for for this season and for staying up. And uh, I'd be I'd be quite optimistic if I was a Cologne fan, but <laughs> if one could ever be optimistic as a Cologne fan, but yeah, I'd, I'd be feeling pretty good. Yeah, yeah, I, I think that they have acquitted themselves quite well against a couple of uh, very good teams in the first couple of weeks. So. 
you know, they've got uh, their away to Freiburg next week, which I think, you know, they're, they're another one of those teams who's really opened things up very well early on in the season. But I think that might be the kind of team that they can uh, stand right up against and, and actually get a result, potentially. Dortmund, meanwhile, they are at uh, Union next week. Are you at all interested in that fixture? <laughs> yeah, yeah, well, we've got passing interest in it. I mean, sadly, I, I, I fear it could be a, a repeat performance of of last week when an Union team who, who are really trying to find find out who they are and, and what they're doing in this league get utterly, utterly outplayed by a very, very good top-end Bundesliga team. Uh, I hope not. I hope they can they can rediscover some of the the kind of defensive stubbornness and and general annoyingness that that characterised them last season. But I think Unione are, are going to take a while to to find their feet. As I say, it's a it's a very strange situation where they've brought in a hell of a lot of players and starting eleven against Augsburg this weekend. There seems to be only about two players, maybe three, who, who were actually there last season. So it's a, yeah, it's a bit of a funny state of affairs. And uh, albeit I do think there's enough quality and enough stability at the club for things to even out and then to, to have a decent chance of staying up. I think these first few weeks are going to be rocky. And I, I really think, unlike Cologne, if you're an Union fan at the moment, at least in footballing terms purely, you're... Uh, you're not feeling so optimistic about about the coming weeks. Hey, you know, uh, we can talk about it in a little bit, but I feel like um, the fact that they got a point out of their, uh, you know, game against Alex Bork, it, it, it bodes well that they'll be able to pick up some points against some, you know, poor sides. You know, three points would be better, but, and, you know, that's life. Yeah, yeah, and it was nice. It was nice to see, you know, two players who, who really did have a very big role in, in getting us promoted last year score the first Bundesliga goal and the two, the two big blonde Sebastians. But yeah, again, in many ways, they probably should have got three points from that game. And it was once again, a bit of kind of defensive nervousness that cost them an opener completely out of the blue. So yeah, I think, I think in, in many ways that's, although one can't be too harsh on a team that's just come out, that's two points lost rather than 1.1. It's, I don't want to sound too pessimistic because it's ridiculous. The, you know, the, everybody is, is expecting to go down and, and, Frankly, nobody will too devastated if they do go down. But it's uh, at least on the pitch itself, it was quite a wake-up call that that day against Leipzig. I think to just to remind everybody that that Union, aside from the delirium of, of the promotion party and everything, really were quite lucky to go up in, in the first place. And yeah, it could be quite a sobering year. Yeah, yeah, it, it is ironic that as as many uh, an Union fan has has told me that this was not necessarily the best uh, Union promotion campaign in the last several years. It just happened to be that that's the way the league shook out, and you had a particularly bad team on the other end of the the relegation playoff that you know let them squeeze through. Oh my goodness, how did we get off? Talking about Union, I guess it's it's sort of inevitable when we have Kit Holden on on the podcast. I, I read your uh, you know your piece in uh, the Tagesspiegel, uh, defending yourself from the uh, criticisms of being a Johnny Come Lately you know uh, hipster Union fan. <laughs> it wasn't it wasn't really I didn't really intend it to be like that. To be honest, it, it kind of I had to write it in a bit of a rush, and I was I wasn't entirely happy with it. If I'm if I'm completely honest, it was, it was supposed to be more of a an impassioned defense of of some of the sort of broader debates going on about Berlin football at the moment and uh, uh, Jorn's place in that because I'm getting a little bit sick of, of of your club professing to be the club for the whole of Berlin and, and having a go at Union for being proud of its East Berlin roots. Hey, sometimes you got to think bigger than, than just Kupernick. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing that Hertha, who forever were a club who, who rooted themselves in two boroughs in the west of Berlin, have suddenly decided now they've got a Bundesliga rival that they're going to try and uh, market themselves as the club for the whole city. But, you know, sure, it's, it's on Jorn who are being disingenuous by... by claiming that they're a, a, an East German club. But yeah, we could we could debate this for hours. <laughs> I, I, I do think both teams are, are kind of, and that was kind of the sense of that article as well, both teams are, are having a bit of fun bashing each other ahead of the, the first Bundesliga derby in, in October. And as we've said before on the podcast, it's, it's, well, it's a funny rivalry because historically they were more friends than, than enemies and that's sort of changed in the last few years. But I don't think either, either fan base really has a a big kind of hatred about the other, which might change if they, they stick around the Bundesliga, both of them, for a while. But, uh, 
yeah, it's all it's all a bit tongue in cheek, and that was the the sense of that article as well. Defo, defo. Before we wrap up this little bit about uh, talking about the teams at the top, I, I think we probably need to move on to the the other game of of uh, a team who I think has sort of got the bona fides to stick around up there. That is uh, Bayer Leverkusen. They were one of the several teams who, you know, got uh, a 3-1 away win this weekend. They defeated Fortuna Düsseldorf, who sort of followed up their big start in this Bundesliga season. They, of course, got that nice win at Bremen last week. And this was a pretty stinging loss at home. It basically was one that they just... They got blitzed by a better team in the first half. I mean, the Chelsea Loney guy, the, the Luton lad, Lewis Baker, pretty pretty rough day at the office scoring an own goal to open the scoring for the wrong team. He later picked up a yellow card. Charles Arangi scored on a really nice trick play, free kick, and Karim Bellarabi finished things off. It was 3-0 at halftime. It was, you know, pretty much uh, a game in which Dusseldorf got a late, you know, scrappy goal from Alfredo Morales just to sort of make the result look a little less definitive. But Leverkusen, they're getting the job done. What what do you what's your your read on this team sort of in the early season? I mean, we sort of made joking reference to the uh, the fast starts of uh, Peter Bosch teams. I guess the Dortmund being the most famous one where he you know ruled off you know what was it. 17 or 16 points in the first six games or something like that uh, for, for Dortmund and then was <laughs> never heard from again after losing uh, several games in a row. I mean, is this is this a really sort of confident place that they should be in? I think it kind of is, you know. I mean, I, I, I get the, you know, everybody, you hear the name Peter Bosch and you think of that, that kind of dramatic collapse a couple of years ago at Dortmund. But yeah, I think it is a different situation and I think... Albeit, you know, Bosch has one way of playing football and, and still doesn't really have a plan B. Uh, he's built it up more steadily at Leverkusen and, and they look like they, to me, are, are, are kind of more... He, he looks like he's getting more out of players who... Or rather, players are, are, are thriving under his system more than just... His system is showcasing talent, which is already there, which was perhaps the case at Dortmund. And I think he's, he's bringing what he's done well. He's brought certain players out of their shells or given certain players really defined roles, which is allowing them to play very, very expansively and strongly in a way that they perhaps haven't done under under Heiko Herrlich. And even under Herrlich, Leverkusen were very kind of, they blew hot and cold. And one week they'd, they'd be fantastic attacking, attacking destructive force. And the next week they'd, they'd be a sort of timid team playing at a... a one one draw against against the lower table side. So it was always a kind of a bit of a party bag and a and a mystery as to which which Leverkusen would turn up. And actually if anything that's been a bit less so under Bosch. They've they've become more confident in that in that destructive persona. And tentatively, cautiously, I, I think they can continue to do that. I mean if you think if you look at the way Folland played, for example, yeah. this weekend, he was he was just fantastic. He knew exactly what he what he was doing. He knew exactly who he was serving and what his role was in that team, and he was unstoppable. And then you, you think about the, the quality of, of Kai Havertz if he's there for another year, which which we assume he will be. I mean, the sheer level of, of talent and, and elegance and class in that player is is becoming more visible every time you see him play. And sure, yeah, you've lost a couple of, of decent players, Frank being one of them, but you've made, they've made a couple of smart signings too, and and. I, 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 yeah, as I say, I'm cautiously optimistic. I think they can stick around there. I'll probably be eating my words when they go on a streak of six defeats in a row and, and Bosch gets sacked. But, but yeah, I think I think they're they're certainly better than Bosch's Dortmund, and they've got more potential than Bosch's Dortmund in some ways. Yep, yep, I would tend to agree, and I think that the fact that they've sort of put this system into you know a longer term place already. I mean, his, his tenure at Leverkusen is already uh, in terms of games, probably longer than it was at Dortmund and things haven't fallen apart yet. I think that's a real good sign. All right, let's take ourselves a little break. And when we come back, we can talk about uh, the couple of teams who are at the top of the table who, you know, may or may not be sticking around there for the long term. We can have a debate about those after a break. All right, here comes part two of Talking Foosball, where we talk about the rest of match day two. You know, maybe if I had a little bit more confidence in these two teams to be, you know, 
something along the lines of real title challengers, I would have put them in the best of the week. But but maybe I don't. The first of the two, which I think is probably uh, you know up for a little bit less debate, would be uh, Freiburg, who find themselves in second place. They uh, got another win. They were away to Paderborn. They got a 3-1 win. You know, another one of those 3-1 away wins from the weekend. Totally action-packed game. Action-packed first half. Action-packed second, if we're honest. Paderborn... For me, you know, they still have notched a point in the league, but they are going to be stretching defenses pretty much every week with their, you know, super vertical style of play, their 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 transition-oriented style of play. Freiburg, however, were just a little bit better. They got goals from familiar faces, Luca Waldschmidt and Nils Peterson, as well as new face Chang Hoon Kwan, who scored with his very first shot in his Bundesliga debut. You know, after this game... Christian Streich. The famously quotable Christian Streich was asked, uh, you know, if if this six-point second-place start meant anything about how this season was going to go for Freiburg. He simply answered, nein. <laughs> uh, do you have any more confidence in, in Freiburg than uh, Streich does? Uh, I don't think that's, that's a sign of lack of confidence in Streich and his team. I think that's a sign of the sensible realism for which we all love him. But Absolutely. Yeah, he... he uh, he knows what he has, and, and everybody everybody knows what to expect from from Freiburg, which is a, a team who can look, who can be really really entertaining and, and fantastic to watch against opposition who are, are on their level or slightly below, and who can occasionally frustrate a, a big look at that. I said frustrate like an American frustrate a a big a bigger name if if they come up against one, and, and otherwise they're gonna ship a fair few points along the way and I think yeah they, they look good I mean it's worth remembering that, that that Paderborn did the same thing as they did against Leverkusen which was score early and then not be quite good enough to take a point against a slightly better opposition and Mainz completely collapsed after after one goal was scored in what was otherwise looking very much like a nil-nil the week before so you know it's not like either of these games could could only have gone one way, even though Freiburg have scored six goals. But on the other hand, they were clinical at the moments when they needed to be clinical and and won each game comfortably in the end as a result. So, yeah, they've they've got class. Obviously, they're not going to finish second. But, I mean, yeah, who knows? It's always the case with them that, you know, every now and then they, they have a really great season and end up finishing eighth or something. So, so that'd be fun if they did that again. Yeah, yeah. I, I think that in that Freiburg is a team who generally either, you know, fights against relegation or gets, you know, somewhere on the fringes of Europe. I think this could be one of the years as long as they keep getting good good production out of guys like Waldschmidt and Peterson, who have done it off and on in, in recent years. This this could be a good year for them. I don't I don't see them actually sticking around uh, at the top, top end of the table, but I, I, I they look pretty decent to me. And, you know, you mentioned your appreciation for the uh, Frankfurt home jersey earlier. I would actually give a, a shout out to the uh, the Freiburg away jersey, which, mm. you know, for all you fans of Juventus who are upset about their uh, their jersey this year, that doesn't have the traditional black and white stripes, maybe maybe you should invest in a in a Freiburg away because it's uh it's kind of the nicest Juventus jersey you can get this season. It's it, it looked very sharp in that win. Quickly about Paderborn. I agree with what you said about them scoring early and then folding. And that certainly was the, the, the narrative of both the game against Leverkusen and this one at home to Freiburg. But I am just, I'm totally charmed by this team. I love the way that they play. I love that they are not changing their philosophy of play, despite the fact that they are, they're outgunned every week. I think that they are going to get some results. I don't know exactly how many of them and if it's going to be enough to stick around in the league but i think that there's going to be some teams who just can't hang with the speed of play that they bring yeah i think particularly when they hit a rhythm and, and if teams underestimate them i mean it was it was much the case last season as well they they kind of got promoted in a sudden stealth attack at the end of the year while, while everybody else was was doing their darndest not to get promoted and and drop points every week part of one suddenly kind of Emerged from from the upper mid table into the into the top four as a an almost certain candidate as the only team that were really hitting form completely outclassed on Yorn in a in a promotion six pointer about six weeks before the end of the season and I think yeah they could they could potentially have a phase like that at some point again this season where a few teams come and, and underestimate them and and they find a rhythm and and go on a nice streak of, of picking up points and 
depending on how everybody else is doing, maybe that'll be enough to to at least stay in the race for the, the Redegazionsplatz. But yeah, it is good. It's always good to see a, a small team just, just going at it. And, and they are a very likable team. Stefan Baumgart is a, is a very likable manager and not just because of his his history as a as an Union icon, but well, not, perhaps not icon, but yes, I think all in all a likable team. And yeah, I wouldn't bet money on them staying up, but they got a, a decent shout if they get their luck. He does. He does have the dress sense of of an Union icon. I, I will give him that. <laughs> okay, now leaving 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 my uh, you know little little uh, stealth Union dig aside. Let's talk about the other team from Berlin. They fell. 3-0 at home to Wolfsburg. Wolfsburg is the other team who I have a little bit of doubt about whether they have the the quality to hang around at the very top of the table. But my doubts are much, much less strong than Freiburg because basically they have presented in both their win over Cologne and in uh, uh, their, their win over Hertha a real willingness to sort of play a very patient game that you know, can can absorb some pressure and just take their chances very well. I mean, I looked at this game in in obviously through my my hair to colored glasses, in which I was upset about uh, VAR <laughs> taking the penalty away from Hertha that, which, that was awarded in the first, you know, 30 seconds of the game. Uh, and then just a few minutes later, you know, not reviewing a penalty which was given for Hertha. But, you know, I, who cares about all that? I think basically this was a really mature performance from Wolfsburg. They got that 1-0 on the 8th or ninth minute on, on a penalty kick from, from uh, Bastost. And they looked very happy to just, you know, frustrate Hertha. After maybe the first 25, 30 minutes when Hertha were putting a lot of pressure on them and, and figuring out ways to get off some pretty good chances, they looked comfortable. They took advantage of, of, of the sort of over-eager Hertha that we saw at the end of the game where they were just chasing it and, and got two more goals on, on counterattacks. I think Wolfsburg, while I don't see them as, as a real title candidate or maybe not even a Champions League candidate... I think that they are going to be pretty, pretty effective this season, and and they have every reason to think that this is going to be a good year. They they certainly look very at ease with themselves, and not just because Glasner looks looks like a sort of tennis coach in a in an idyllic village somewhere, rather than a Bundesliga manager. Yeah, a, I could see him in a, in a V-neck <laughs> cabled sweater, you know, a white sweater like that sort of old timey <laughs> tennis deal. He's just got this very sort of wan smile that you know he just sort of appears to be humouring a slightly annoying teacher at a parents' evening every uh, whenever he talks to a reporter. It's, it's quite good. It's quite refreshing. As was, by the way, anti. Chorwich's masterful reaction to to questions about the refereeing decisions and the and the VAR controversy that you just mentioned. He was asked on Sky to to do what coaches are normally asked to do and and rant and rave and say how terrible it is that the referee has done this and how their team has been cheated out of all the glory that they otherwise would have got by by one small refereeing decision. And he just completely refused to engage and and did what every manager should do and said the refereeing decision has been made and I'm not going to comment on it. And it was thoroughly elegant, thoroughly admirable and and should be imitated by by every manager of every football club across the world, let alone the Bundesliga. But yeah, both of them very, very cool figures and and Grasner in particular looks like he's a very, very sharp appointment by uh, a club that knew exactly what they needed for the team they had, which has been built up quite well by Labadea over the last couple of years. And this team looks, as I say, very, very just kind of in a groove. They look like they know what they're doing and, and where they're going. And, and I think that bodes well. And I think, yeah, I think you're right. They're probably not quite title challenging level, but, you know, they could be one of those sneaking into the top four, maybe if things go their way or, or certainly making a, a challenge for the places. I like it. I think that's a pretty pretty fair way of looking at things. On the other side of things, I thought that there was plenty of good to take away from this game for Hertha, especially as I as I mentioned earlier, that first sort of half an hour of play, where you know if they had been able to you know be a little bit cannier with how they uh, tried to snuff that ch- uh, chance out for uh, Felix Klaus, I guess that was uh, Karim Rekic who made that foul for the penalty kick. I think that they very, very easily could have, you know, had a goal or two in hand and 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 looked like they, they were ready to, to get a result in this game. But, you know, Wolfsburg basically had them figured out 
after the first 30 minutes or so when they figured out that, you know, if you just let Dodi Lucabacchio cut in from the right and, and, you know, do that sort of quick interplay with either Klinter moving forward or, or Andre Duda, then you're going to give up a lot of chances. So once they sort of closed that option off, things got a lot tougher for Hertha and there were a lot of dumb crosses going in to no, no one in particular. But I think, uh, I think Hertha have a lot to build on. I think that, especially when they were able to integrate guys like this uh, Daishon Radon, who got some minutes towards the end of the game, who looked pretty good. And uh, whenever Javairo Dilrosson is ready to play a role, I think he could actually improve things quite a lot. So speaking of VAR controversy, we had more of it in uh, the Schalke versus Bayern game. And, you know, maybe maybe you need to get Ante Čovic and uh David Wagner uh, together for a little chat about how to how to talk about these things because David Wagner of Schalke was certainly not pleased with how things went as far as the kind of luck or, or lack thereof that that uh, Schalke had with with the uh, officials about a couple of handball decisions which were not reviewed by VAR. I mean, I I, I hate getting in the refereeing weeds, but it's funny like before, actually before this game on Sunday when when we had those we had that decision reviewed and overturned to take away the penalty from Hertha in the early going I thought that maybe the Bundesliga sort of was turning over a new leaf when it comes to sort of trying to review less decisions or or you know trying to make raise the bar a bit higher when it comes to sort of which decisions should be overturned i.e. correcting obvious wrong decisions as opposed to you know debatable ones because I certainly think that, like, you know, even the two handballs from from Ivan Perisic and Benjamin Pavard for, for Bayern, while I personally would have probably given them, I think they're debatable, and I think it was fine that VAR didn't review them. But I was a little bit confused as to why the decision for uh, Jérôme Roussillon's foul on André Duda, which I also found was a, a debatable one. I think it was not obviously wrong that they gave the penalty. So I don't know. I, I, I'm finding, I'm finding any any degree of clarity about when VAR is going to step in and when it isn't and how it's going to decide. Elusive. I'm still more or less okay with it, but I'm. There are no clear narratives that I can draw. There, there are no clear narratives, and it should be completely abolished. There's, it, it, it's particularly in Germany. There's it, it, it's just infuriating because the whole, every single discussion is just a, uh, a horrible example of, on the one hand, football's, world football's self-importance and pomp, and on the other hand, a very, very German tendency to get obsessed with judiciary detail. And they get, instead of actually just enjoying a football match, everybody just gets off on on being outraged about the fact that a rule is is difficult to interpret or how can it be interpretable if it's a rule a rule should leave no room for interpretation and etc etc and you get further and further away from any semblance of respect for the official which is why i thought chovich's comments were just absolutely what was needed because the whole point of a referee is that it is a game the game is played in order to pass the time and entertain people. And two teams play a game in order that one team can try to win a game and will win a game. But sometimes there will be contentious decisions. And because both teams are trying to win the game, you have somebody who is unpartaiish, a non-partisan, who just makes an, makes the decision one way or the other. And then everybody gets on with the game because the game is the thing that we like. The only thing that's a problem in football is if the partiality or the impartiality of the referee is causing to question because then the whole construct falls over. If the referee has been bought or if the referee has a, a soft spot for one team, then the whole idea of the referee is is completely destroyed. But so long as the referee is acting in good faith, it does not matter whether the absolute letter of the law has been upheld. What matters is that the game is played. And and the, the, the sheer obsession with, with the finer points of certain rules is just getting utterly absurd and it shows football for the for the ridiculously overhyped phenomenon that is that it has tragically become because it, like honestly I, I i just can't i can't do it anymore abolish it abolish all the, the the stadiums and have everybody just play in the parks and 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 realize once again what we're actually doing here we're playing a game and we can get as obsessed with it as we like but please let's concentrate on the playing of the game itself well 
I guess we might have to wait for, uh, you know, <laughs> some somewhat less than the, uh, you know, 70,000 people who showed up to the Felton's Arena to watch Schalke lose this game to, before we can completely take the, uh, you know, the heat off of, of uh, the officials or the, the, the VAR folks in the basement in Cologne, as it were. What do you make of the fact that, you know, Bayern got a very, on the face of it, a, a 3-0 win that, that was reasonably comfortable. I think it was probably a bit higher than it needed to be, but I certainly don't think that anything other than a win for Bayern would have been a just result here. Lewandowski getting a very big game, I, I think is, is a nice sign for Bayern, even if they weren't firing necessarily on all cylinders. What is your Bayern outlook at the moment? I mean, they have, uh, you know, they're hosting Mites next week, which I think we can probably agree is, is, a, is, is a winnable game. I mean, do you see them sort of eking their way back up to the top and just waiting for, for the teams above them to drop points? Or is this still going to be sort of a work in progress as they integrate these these uh, new guys into the squad? Well, I mean, they, they're clearly not not a, an entirely finished package at the moment. But I, I also think a lot of the kind of discussion about Bayern over the summer about, oh, you know, they haven't signed anyone or they haven't signed the right people has been typically a Bayern very, very overregged and actually most of the people involved have, have seemed reasonably calm all the way through it and the team have have looked okay when they 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 find they dropped two points in the first day of the season and they lost the super cup but you know this isn't the best buying team that that we're going to see in in the next 10 years or the last 10 years and so we can't expect them to, to go out and win every game five nil as, as we passed it in you know four or five years ago um and generally, I think they they look pretty good. I don't. I certainly don't think as a Bayern fan you'd be you'd be thinking, oh god, this is a terrible crisis. They've made a couple of good signings to plug to plug some gaps. They might want to get a, another defensive midfielder in if they really want to kind of get depth in in every single position. But generally, I think they're looking pretty strong. And, and Kovac, I think I said before on the show that he did his job last year absolutely brilliantly, in that he he oversaw the first stage of of a transition from from a very established older Bayern team to what will be the next generation. And now he has to, he has to do the next step, which is for him imposing himself and his idea of football on, on a team, which is now largely his and, and of his kind of making. And if he can do that, then he can build something. And if he can't, then Bayern will have a crisis in, in the middle of the season at some point. And, We'll see what happens. He'll be sacked or someone else will come in or, or whatever. But I think for now, things are going pretty steadily for him and, and for his project there. And I think, yeah, we'll see. They're, they're not as infallible as they, they were before, but that's good for everybody, really. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I think it's far, far from uh, a point in time to really expend much in the way of worry for Bayern. We talked about the fact that, I mean, Bayern are hosting Mites next week. Mites are probably not looking forward to that, especially after, you know, they, they have opened the season quite poorly in terms of results. They've, you know, they, you mentioned they had that sort of late collapse against Freiburg last week, and they also took a lead in this game against uh, Gladbach early on, but eventually sort of saw things fall by the wayside pretty quickly. They lost 3-1 at home in the duel of the famous best friend coaches, former or Mites players in the Klopp era, both Sandra Schwarz and Marco Rosa. Any quick thoughts about the way things are going for either Mites or Gladbach? I mean, Mites continuing a project with the same coach they've had for some time. Obviously, this is a team that has a lot of turnover in personnel from year to year, so that's kind of tricky, whereas, you know, Rosa is just sorting things out with this this new squad? Yeah, I mean, I, I confess, I, I really, really always struggle to, to form an opinion on Mites. Sure. <laughs> I think, I, I, think I, I never really watch them closely enough. And they always there always seems to be quite a quick turnover of, of in terms of the squad. And, and occasionally a coach will come in who, who really uh, has a very strong philosophy and you see something happening. Schwarz... Well, it doesn't seem to be that to me. I mean, maybe I'm not watching them closely enough, but yeah, I, I increasingly struggle to yeah form any kind of strong opinion or get too excited about them. I hope he stays because I think he seems to suit the club well. He seems to have a pretty pretty stable thing going, and I don't think 
the losing 3-0 to Freiburg and losing 3-1 to Gladbach is, a, is an entirely disastrous start to the season for, for a club like mine. So obviously you don't want to lose 3-0 to Freiburg, but Gladbach are uh, a club who are going to be pushing for, for the top six. So no shame there. And as far as Rosa goes, I mean, I think, yeah, let's, let's give him time and, and see where he does. There were good signs and bad signs in that game and likewise against Schalke the nil-nil I mean you know he's yet to to set the Bundesliga alight with this back team but yeah let's give him time and, and see what he can build he's certainly got got the track record so yeah let's see sure Sure. One other team who is sort of, I don't know, in at least uh, a point deficit at the moment, much like Mainz, is uh, Werder Bremen. Another team who, you know, it's hard to really get too worried about how, they, uh, how they've started, much like Cologne, I would say, and that they've, they've played pretty well in both of their first two games. I mean, they were sort of picked off by Dusseldorf last week, and this week they were in a real seesaw battle against uh, Hoffenheim, one in which they ended up on the wrong end of a, of a 3-2 loss. This is, this is, this is the kind of scoreline you want to see in a Hoffenheim-Bremen game. I mean, these are, these are two clubs that don't sort of play a, a real tight sort of a defense, and, and they both came up with the goods. Are you at all troubled by the start that Bremen has had, or, or is this another one that's going to work itself out? I mean, they, they are hosting Augsburg next week, which could be a home banker. Yeah, it could be a chance to let off a bit of a bit of steam, eh? I, I really hope they steady the ship and, and, and put these, those two results behind them, because I really think Kohlfeldt has built something really, really impressive there, and I, I really would like him to to keep building that rather than suffer the fate of his sort of comparable predecessors in, in Alexander Nuri and, and Victor Skripnik who started well and then went out in a kind of blazing collapse about a year later. Kofel has, has I think lasted longer than, than both those guys did now. Perhaps not quite as long as Skripnik, but yeah, he, he certainly appears to be building something more exciting than either of those two guys are. And so it'd be a real shame if, if it all comes tumbling down. I, it is tough to know how, how much the departure of someone like Max Kulza really hurts that team. You'd hope and you'd think that they have the quality to deal with that and to, to push on and, and move on. And yeah, like I say, I, I hope that's the case because they're a really, really likable club and team with him. And yeah, let's hope Augsburg is a chance to let us see. Nothing against Augsburg, but you know, let's hope that they can, can pick up three points there and get stuff back on track. For sure. For sure. Yeah. Hoffenheim, meanwhile, they got their first three points of the season for three points for new coach Alfred Schruder. They go away to Leverkusen next week, which should be a considerably sterner test. So that is all for this edition of Talking Foosball. It was produced, as always, by Aiden Rantoul. And it was, as always, was a great time having you on the podcast, Kit Holden. It was uh, really, really nice. Thank you. It was lovely to be here. Nice. You can follow Kit on Twitter, at Kit Holden. It's just as simple as that. You can read his work in all kinds of places via AFP, all kinds of publications. Pick up his work, such as uh, Yahoo Sports, etc. If you like, you can contact me, at Mr. Matt Herman, on Twitter. Please do subscribe to the podcast on your podcasting platform of choice. Do leave us a rating. We love it. And be ready later this week for a new episode of Talking Foosball Fantasy with JT and Flo. They will get you ready for match day three. They got me ready for match day two. I had a pretty nice score. So, uh, you know, watch out world. Bis zum nächsten Mal, y'all.